Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning and making the minister cry sometimes. It's not hard. We come from a heritage of knowing that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And in the spirit of that heritage, we greet the divine in our midst. If we're on the live stream, we greet the divine in the comments by welcoming one another here. If we're here in the room, we welcome one another. Uh, the divine in us welcomes the divine in our neighbors. My goodness, you'd think we're about to have a big old party for someone we love a lot or something. <laughs> Please join me in our words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning is from Ralph Waldo Emerson. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. This congregation wrote a mission statement for itself to guide its decisions, and we wrote it on the wall. We say it every Sunday. Please join me. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. After we say our mission, we have a moment for beloved community so that we can... Um, have a glimpse into the white supremacy culture in which we live. 
um, that culture is very invested in us not seeing it. And so every time we can put one over on the man by seeing something in the culture that we're not supposed to see, we feel happy because we like to get an A-plus in cultural competence. (laughs) What I want to tell you about today is knowledge that you must use only for good. You must not use it to lord it over any of your friends or get anybody with this knowledge, but it's just knowledge to hold tenderly, tenderly in your heart. And that is that within communities of color, white supremacy culture is so powerful that the people within communities of color who have lighter skin can lord it over the people in those communities who have darker skin. And so whether you're, no matter what culture you're from, um, there are there are gradations of color privilege in those cultures. If you want to read about this in the black community, there's a wonderful documentary called Dark Girls that is just a beautiful um, exposition of how this works. Also, around the world, there are skin-bleaching creams for sale on every corner because people want to be whiter. I just need you to know that. And again, raise your right hand and say, I will use this knowledge only for good. (laughs) Thank you very much. This book is called Bloom by Ann Booth and Robin Wilson Owens. There was once a beautiful flower under the window of a big house and a little girl who loved it. Every morning on her way to school with her brother, the little girl would visit the flower. She would look at its beautiful petals, drink in its sweet smell, and wonder at the smoothness of its leaves and at their color and shape. Good morning, beautiful flower, she would say. I think you're wonderful. Thank you for being here for us. I love you. And she would go to school happy. One morning, the man living in the big house woke up early and heard someone talking to his flower. He looked out of his window and saw the little girl. How dare you talk to my flower, he shouted. Go away and never come near my flower again. The little girl and her brother didn't like being shouted at, so they went to school another way. The next day, when the sun rose, the flower did not open. And every day after that, it stayed tight shut. The man was furious and sent for his gardener. What is the matter with my flower? He demanded. Is it getting enough water? Yes, said the gardener. I water it every morning and evening. Well, you're obviously not doing it properly, said the man crossly. I can see I'm just going to have to do it myself. And so every morning he got up and watered the flower, and every evening before he went to bed, he watered the flower, but it still refused to open. Maybe it needs more shade, said the man. The sun is very hot in the middle of the day. I have made sure it has plenty of shade, said the gardener. But the man said, 
well. You're obviously not doing it properly. I can see I'm just going to have to do it myself. So every day, when the sun was at its highest, he took his umbrella and shaded the flower from the heat. But it still didn't open. He watered the flower in the morning and shaded it from the midday sun and watered it again just before he went to bed. The man began to talk to it. He told it how wonderful he was. <laughs> how lucky it was to be his flower and how important his job was. But it still didn't open. He told it all about his problems, how busy he was, and the fact that nobody liked him. He complained about his gardener was useless, how if he didn't do everything, nothing got done properly, and how lonely he felt. He ordered it to bloom for him, to cheer him up. Do you think it worked? The unhappy man called the gardener to him again. Before you say anything, said the gardener, I don't know what the matter is. All I know is that the flower hasn't opened since you sent away the little schoolgirl who passed by it every morning. What did she do that I don't do, said the man crossly. Well, she used to talk to it every day, said the gardener. That can't be it, said the man. I talk to it every morning at midday and before I go to bed. And what I can say must be much better than anything a little girl could say. The man thought and thought. I can see I'm just going to have to ask that child to come back. Maybe she has some magic words which make the flower bloom. So he went to the school gate and waited for the little girl and her brother to arrive. My flower stopped blooming after you left, said the man to the little girl. Poor flower, said the girl. I've watered it and sheltered it and talked to it every day, but it still won't open. And a tear rolled down his cheek. What do you say to it, said the little girl, and her brother passed the man a tissue. Well, said the man, blowing his nose, I, I tell it how important I am and how lucky it is to be in my garden. I tell it how miserable I am. I tell it how horrible everybody else is, and I order it to bloom to cheer me up. But it doesn't work. Well, said the little girl, why don't you tell it how wonderful it is? Thank it for being there and how much you love it. That's what I always did. So the man ran home to his flower and said, you are wonderful. And as he said the words, he realized for the first time how truly wonderful the flower was. I'm so lucky you grow in my garden, he said. And as he said it, he realized how truly lucky he was and how he hadn't ever really looked at his flower properly and how much he longed to see it and smell its perfume again. I love you so much, said the man at last. And as he said it, his own heart filled with love. And the flower bloomed. Our reading this morning is by Chris Jimerson.
in moonlit shadows at the edge of night-darkened oak trees, I see it. Across sunny pathways and the buzzing of insects amongst the flowering forest greenery, I hear it. From the touch of loved ones, the embraces of those gone before me, I feel it. In the poems I love dearly, the songs that speak to my heart, the sculpture that captures my imagination, the discoveries yet to be made, I sense it. It is in the fire of distant suns, the cool drip of waters, the slight chill in the breeze, the laughter of children, no matter what their age, old and young, grown and still small. It is the breath of life, the stardust of souls, the magic of remembrance. Who am I not to surrender to it in gratitude? Who am I not to be blessed? In this time in our service, we enter into an attitude of prayer and meditation where we pray to God as we understand God, or where we listen to our inner wisdom, or where we just watch our breath go in and out of our bodies. Let us enter into the wise silence together. Our hearts have been heavy this week. We pray that we would stand as a bulwark somehow against hate, a bulwark for peace. We pray that it would begin with the people around us. If we could ask ourselves how to make peace among the people around us we could ask ourselves how to make peace in policies of our government so that our children, grandchildren, don't have to live dangerous lives. We ask for a continuing flow of energy to make this world a better place, not only here in this country, but in other countries. We cannot do everything, but we can reach out to that which is nearby to us and make it a little bit better. We ask that the sadness and injustice in the world not put out our light. We need that soul light and we need it to be fed by truth, by music, by art, by beauty. We need it to be fed by friendship and love. Let us lift our soul light high for one another to recognize. Make this life a little less hard for someone if we can. 
As we continue in an attitude of meditation, you are invited to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope, remembrance, or determination. You can see the flowers up here up front. That's because it's Flower Communion Sunday. This is a traditional Unitarian celebration of diversity. It was invented by Norbert Chopek and his wife. He, they were ministers, Unitarian ministers in Czechoslovakia and in New Jersey. And so they were back and forth between New Jersey and uh, the East Coast and New Eng- and um, Central Europe, and as the Nazis were rising up, and um, one of the things that Chapek taught his congregation was that you don't have to think alike to love alike, which is another Czech person, not Czech transylvanian from long time ago named francis david he said that and that's what we still believe today we don't have to think alike to love alike and so chapek thought it would be good to have uh, flowers symbolizing all the members of his congregation and all their glorious gifts and all their glorious differences people have lots and lots of differences within each unitarian universalist congregation and we like to celebrate those differences rather than letting them worry us. And so, um, you know, if you're a person who, who loves people of the same sex as them, we love you. If you're a person who is in between the two genders and sometimes doesn't want to pick one, we love you. Um, we are just like that ourselves in many ways. Everybody's got a little something quirky about us, don't we? (laughs) And we celebrate the quirks. 
And the flowers, you couldn't even notice if a flower had quirks unless you were like a flower judge, which I am certainly not. Each flower looks pretty, pretty good on its own, doesn't it? You look at the flowers up here and they look like they're supposed to. And you wouldn't want a sunflower to look like a rose because that would be confusing. Unless you just did it for your own amusement like those Victorian scientists. I know, shall we make a rose that looks like a sunflower? Okay, okay. So we as a congregation are like this gathering of flowers here, so beautiful and so varied and so different. And do you think the Nazis liked that message? They did not. They did not really like people to be different. They wanted everybody to be part of the master race, whatever that was. They did not behave like a master race because you would think if there were a master race of people, they would behave with justice and kindness. But no, these people did not. They were cruel and they were awful and they took Norbert Chopik and put him in a prison. And they disbanded his church, which was a church of about 3,000 people. And they told him he couldn't teach anymore. And they were so mean to him that he died in that prison. But we remember him and his wife. We remember them every year. Um, She lived a long time because she was in the United States fundraising while he got captured. She couldn't get back to him. And he probably told her not to come also. So she lived a long time and nurtured the Unitarians and the Universalists that were here. And we say every Sunday that we have a flower communion, we say a blessing on the flowers. Now, do you all remember how to bless? You you point your hands toward the person you're blessing or the thing you're blessing and you call down blessings upon the flowers and make blessings go into the flowers. This is in your imagination. So in your imagination, you make blessings go into the flowers. So let's do that right now because people are going to be picking up flowers at the party and they're going to be taking home a different flower from the one that they brought. And we want to make sure that they take a lot of blessings home with them, okay? So here we go. Let's bless these flowers together. May each flower be infused with the warmth and spirit of this community. May each flower remind the person who takes it home of the beauty of their individual self and how it adds to the beauty of the community of flowers. May it remind us each flower, that there are gardens full of hundreds of different flowers and that the garden looks good as a whole and it looks good, each individual flower and even each petal is beautiful. And may the flowers that we take home remind us that even though some flowers are carefully cultivated, other flowers can grow wild without cultivation at all. And sometimes people call those flowers weeds even. But some of us are weeds and we can grow anywhere we want to.
And nobody can tell us that we are different from flowers. We are the kind of flowers we want to be, and we can travel, and we can let our seeds blow with the wind, and we can bloom where we're planted or not. We can uproot ourselves and go somewhere else. There is nothing resigned about a flower. There is just that power that runs through the green fuse of the flower and makes it burst into blossom and attract all the bees and make more honey and make more flowers. May each flower we take home remind us of all these blessings of the earth. May it be so. I, um, I wanted to ask if there are members of the search team that found me here. Would you please stand up? wanted to thank you all so much for weeding through all of the people, all of the wonderful people who applied for this position and choosing me. I wanted to just talk for a second about what call feels like. Um, when a minister is hired, it's more than a job. We call it a call because it feels like something hooked into your breastbone and pulled you toward that particular group of people in that particular work. And I know that it feels like that in the search team as well. You, you, you interview many wonderful people, and then there's one or two that you just feel like, I feel a connection with you. And um, I had come to this church before it was even open. I had come as part of a, a lecture series, and yeah... And um, I had felt so happy here in this church because it smelled good. <laughs> and that's really important to me. <laughs> um, I was happy here and the church didn't smell like diapers. And I thought this would be a nice place to be if ever it were a free church looking for a minister and then lo in a few years you were and I thought it would be wonderful to apply to this position and we've um, you called me so that's that is I felt the call and then you called me which is a specific ceremony where you offer me the job you offer me the call it's more like um, more like getting married than uh, it is like getting hired and so um, I've been very, very happy here for the last 11 years. We've done a lot together. We realized, well, you had realized before I even got here that you needed a bigger sanctuary. And so we got that done and we hired Chris to help us with that. And I'm very, very happy about that.
soon after we hired him to help us with that, we realized we needed him to help us with everything. So <laughs> his job kind of embiggenated. <laughs> That's a Simpsons word, don't judge. <laughs> and so um, as we renovated, we, we did lose a few people. Because every time you sat down on the pews, a little puff of dust would come up. (laughs) And some people were just like, wake me up when this is over. And then as soon as the renovation was over, (sighs) the pandemic hit. I know. And so we have been through a lot together. But one of the highlights for me was when um, when we asked Sulma to come be our guest in sanctuary. She um, was our first guest in sanctuary, and I was so proud of you all. I want to tell you the story of the board meeting, which I think I've told you before. But just this is the, the joy and the sacredness of this work. We're at a board meeting, and uh, Reverend Madi, some of you remember her, Madi Sol Caballero, she was in touch with this um, with Sulma, And she said, Sulma needs to be in sanctuary like this June, which is in two weeks, was was almost this time of year. And um, so I said, well, let's take it to the board meeting. And we sat around with this board. I think it was 2015. We sat around with this board. And um, I said, (laughs) we've been asked to... uh, have somebody in sanctuary with us, which means they'll live at the church. And it means that uh, we hope that ICE won't come get them at the church. Because if ICE comes and gets them and deports them, they will likely die. And I said, I do not want to do this. I was raised Presbyterian. (laughs) And Presbyterians do things decently and in order. And even though I'm Unitarian Universalist now, I still have this urge to do things decently and in order. And this feels rushed to me. It feels like we don't know what we're doing. It feels like too much. And I don't know what we should do. And one of the board members who is sitting in this room, um, I believe it was you, Glenna, who said, I'm, I'm calling out names now, who said... If we don't do this, then what do we do? And everybody went, hmm. I said, but we don't have a shower. And then Russell Smith, who was on the board at the time, said, there's a shower across the street at the Child Guidance Center that I happen to run, and she can use that shower anytime she wants to. And I got tears in my eyes, because you know that happens easily. Um... And from me feeling like we shouldn't do it, I was converted by these two board members and the rest of the board members who were nodding along like this. Yes, we should do it. And so we did. We invited her into sanctuary. And then um, when I introduced her to you all, we hadn't had a congregational meeting about it because that's not the form of governance we have. We just decided with the board to do it. 
and she was sitting in the back, and um, I introduced her to you, and you stood up and clapped for her. And she was so grateful, and you all saved her life. I want you to know that. If, you don't, if you're looking around your life and you're thinking, I never did anything that good, you saved her life. And you helped save Alidio's life, too. He's our second guest in Sanctuary. So you, we have done, we have done good things together. And we've stayed together through the pandemic, which was mean and hard. And it may still get mean and hard again. We don't know. We don't know. Don't you hate that? I hate not knowing. (laughs) But that's what the call felt like. The call felt like, I'm going to go do important work with these people. And I want to tell you how grateful I am to each and every one of you who have supported this congregation over the years and who have been part of things. And there are so many volunteers. If I were to call them out and thank them all, it would take until this afternoon late and we would miss the cake. (laughs) And that would be a tragedy. (laughs) Somebody's thinking straight. (laughs) So... From the bottom of my heart, thank you. I wish I had some wonderful and amazing final words, but I'm waiting for those for my deathbed. I haven't figured out what they are yet. Um, And I hope my deathbed doesn't come for many, many years. But there are going to be some great words right there at the end. (laughs) I hope. Now we're going to do a litany which is uh, called the release of call. In the Unitarian Universalist tradition, few relationships are as special as the one between a congregation and a minister they have chosen. For us, the minister's authority and power does not come from on high, but from education, training, and calling. They also grow out of the hearts and minds of those who voluntarily come together to create the congregation. It is right, therefore, to honor the beginning of such a relationship as we did with our vote to call Reverend Meg Barnhouse in May of 2011 and in our covenant with her. Since then, we have been in shared ministry together based on trust, respect, and confidence in each other and in the spirit of love and truth. Reverend Meg, we have called you to speak the truth to us with courage and love and to celebrate with us the wonder and mystery of life. We asked you to challenge us to live by the principles of our faith and minister to us in times of joy and sorrow. You have lived among us and have made our concerns your concerns. You have led us as you were able in the paths of understanding, compassion, respect, and peace. Together, we have honored our promise to serve the spirit of life and justice in this congregation and in our community. You, the people of First UU, have walked this journey with me giving your hearts and minds, your hands, your spirit, and your treasure to the mission of this community. 
You have trusted me with the leadership of this congregation. We have worked together side by side with faith, hope, and love. We have taught each other, learned from our mistakes, held our breaths together when our finances were perilous, celebrated joys, mourned sorrows, and watched our children grow together. Everything that has a beginning has an end. And just as we honor beginnings, it is a sacred thing to honor our endings when they come, even when those endings are not what we would wish. As the pre current president of the board of this congregation, I speak for the people of First UU Austin today as we formally release each other from that covenant and call. We recognize that the ministry of this congregation is never the work of one person, but is shared by us all. We know, know the role of the minister is not held by one person, but by a long line of ministers, past and present and still to come, and by every person who's part of this congregation. Accepting this, we, the members and friends of First UU, hereby completely release you, Reverend Barnhouse, from your covenant with us. We pledge to treat our present and future ministers with open minds and warm hearts and to remember what you all have taught us about the power of shared ministry. We send you on your way with every blessing, honoring your many gifts to us. You have a very good minister still here, and there will be a capable other minister as well of some kind leading you through this transition. Every person who is a part of this congregation also shares in this congregation's ministry and mission. I, in turn, release you from your covenant with me. May we, the people of First UU, lift our, hearts to, our hands to our hearts and join together in this litany of gratitude and mutual letting go. Reverend Meg Barnhouse, you have given yourself to this ministry with full enthusiasm and joy. You have led us in worship, taught us and our children, listened to us when we needed your presence, and challenged us to bring healing to a broken world. For this, we thank you. You have given us your truth without flinching and challenged us to dream when dreaming may have seemed foolish. For this, we thank you. You have pointed consistently and compassionately to a truth that can barely be heard, and yet awakens our hearts to their truest joy. For this, we thank you. You have given me your love and trust, and have granted me the freedom of my mind and soul. For this, I thank you. As I have spoken my truth to you, you have spoken your truth to me. As I have dreamed with you, you have dreamed with me. As I have listened to you, you have listened to me, and for this, I thank you. You have inspired me by your integrity, your kindness to each other and to me, your love and your work for justice. For this, I thank you. I know that my life has been and always will be richer for having served you these years. For the gift of that service, I thank you. May you always know you too are a sacred gift to this world as you have been to me. And I thank you.
Now, please join me in our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.